Live from the bridge at the Launchpad Studios in Huntington, New York, it's Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Cardboard Memories, Clearview, Long Island, the law firm of Decalator, Cohen, and DePrisco, the Phoenix Tube Company, Pims Incorporated, fueling brand performance for 30 years, Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, and Soho Table Hockey. Here are your hosts, Mark and AJ. We need to put a disclaimer on this next uh, segment. If you are get nervous by high energy people, please step out of the room. You know, this is basically, this could be the equivalent of Kramer and Mary Hart. So just be careful because joining us now is the man who is a fan favorite because of the way he played the game, as well as his high energy personality. He was a switch hitter, outfielder, first baseman over his 12 year major league baseball career with the Oakland Athletics, Chicago White Sox, New York Yankees, where he played an integral part in earning the team's record 27th World Series title in 2009. And the Cleveland Indians and the Atlanta Braves, he was selected to the American League all-star team in 2010 his dad steve was also a major leaguer who made an all-star team as well it is a pleasure to welcome the human energizer bunny himself number 33 <laughs> in your yankee program nick swisher welcome nick oh my man what an intro bro i'll take that all day baby all day i know i need to keep my energy level up just to like yo know, even you know to compare but i'm gonna try my best all right so nice man i'm happy to be here brother thanks for having me on oh uh, it's absolutely our pleasure your early baseball foundation is set pretty is set pretty well as uh, we mentioned your dad steve was a catcher and also a minor league manager and your manager at ohio state was legendary bob todd who in 23 season there his teams compiled a 901 477 and two record what were the most important things you learned from those two men Wow. I mean, you know, no doubt. I mean, Coach Todd, I mean, you know, I, I was best friends with his daughter, Stacy, when we were growing up kind of in Worthington, Ohio. So I had known Coach Todd, you know, when I was a little kid kind of coming up through elementary school and then get the chance to play for him in college, man. What an opportunity to be able to go to the Ohio State University, bro, to be able to play, to be able to play Division One sports, to continue to keep my baseball career going. Uh, you know, I mean, listen, man, Ohio State is such a winning tradition. Uh, you know, baseball, we haven't, you know, we haven't been to, you know, Omaha a whole lot as of late. You know, Coach Fields is over there now doing a tremendous job. Uh, but I think for myself, that winning attitude, right, that kind of that tradition that Ohio State had, uh, that was something that I learned at an early age, man, and something that I wanted to continue to keep and have through the rest of my career. I mean, listen, I was able to play for great organizations like the Oakland Athletics, right, the New York Yankees. I mean, come on, baby. I mean, like, it was a dream come true. But to be able to have the chance to play for a legendary coach like that, man, what an honor. So you give back as well, thanks to a $500,000 donation. They added an artificial turf field uh, to give the team greater access to the field throughout the year. And the field is actually named after you. What does that honor mean to you? Oh, bro, like the most, the most amazing thing that's ever happened to me, right? I mean, to be able to leave your legacy like that and to be able to kind of pay it forward and to help guys, uh, you know, achieve the same goal that you were able to achieve. That's what I'm here for, bro. Listen, man. I'm 40 years old. I've been retired for four years now. I got two daughters. I mean, right now in my life, bro, that's all I'm trying to do. Give back, help as much as I can, mentor as much as I can, and, 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 and give these experiences that I've had to somebody because there are kids out there that can use this, and that's all I want to do, man. I want to be a ray of sunshine, help them out any way that I can, and just try and be a ray of light, you know? You know, you're selected by the Oakland Athletics with the first-round pick, 16th overall, that they received from the Boston Red Sox in compensation for signing free agent Johnny Damon by the Red Sox. 
What makes this pick even more interesting, that it's actually the Athletics' 2002 draft that's heavily featured in Michael Lewis's 2003 book, Moneyball. The book whose key theme is the gulf between orthodox baseball thinking and the new sabermetrics influence system being implemented by Billy Bean. You, however, are notable as one of the few examples of a player who traditional scouts like and Billy Bean agreed as well. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> well, what do you remember about draft day and your first interaction with Billy? Oh, man. Uh, unbelievable. I mean, Billy's energy is tremendous. He's such an educated man. And he's a winner, bro. Listen, man, you know, I mean, if you read the book and you were able to kind of get any insight on his career and the amount of talent that that guy had coming up, listen, man, he's a smart guy. He's a good looking dude, right? He's educated. He knows what he's doing. Uh, and he's a guy that you want to be part of something with. And for myself, you know, I mean, listen, Moneyball was the first kind of kind of look into sabermetrics in general. So Billy was ahead of the game. And for myself to be able to kind of fit the mold of what he was looking for, I mean, what a blessing, bro. Listen, I mean, something where the new age scouts really understood my plate discipline and loved my on-base percentage. But I think the old-time scouts really kind of dug my gritty vibe and kind of how I like to just get out there and give everything that I had. So I think for myself, being a mix of that old-school player as well as that new-school player was awesome, man. And, and coming up through the minor leagues and, you know, instead of signing baseball cards, we were signing books, right? <laughs> so to be able to be part of that amazing book and then uh, as well as the movie, you know, Brad Pitt, um, I mean, that was awesome, bro. So so much fun to be part of all that uh, and an honor for sure. It's interesting because you are that mix. And the funny thing is that had you not have that sabermetrics component, a player like you might have gotten overlooked and everything you do on the field and that extra intangible you bring. So it is a very interesting mix there. You make your way up the A's minor league system. You make your major league debut against the Toronto Blue Jays September 3rd, 2004. What do you remember about that day, seeing your name in the starting lineup and facing Ted Lilly? So just thinking to myself, oh my gosh, bro, this is unbelievable. We're here. We made it, right? We made it. And I just remember that. I mean, we were in you know, Tacoma, Washington at the time, you know, when I was in AAA playing for Sacramento Rivercats. Uh, and we were up there. I had taken the flight all the way from Tacoma all the way over to Toronto. I didn't sleep a wink the night before. And I just remember just being like, wow, this is it, man. This is what you worked your life for. And, you know, I've always tried to be one of those guys, man. I didn't want to just go. I just didn't want to just get to the big leagues, right? That wasn't enough. That wasn't where I was shooting my stars. And I wanted to make a mark. And to be able to get there and to have the opportunity to be with such an amazing organization like the Oakland A's. Listen, I mean, when we were coming up through the minor league system, it was amazing because if you produced and you did what you were supposed to be doing, you moved up the ladder. And it was such an amazing organization to be part of because you felt that. You're like, hey, if I produce and do what I'm supposed to be doing, I'm moving up the ladder. So, you know, Billy Bean, I mean, he puts a competitive club on the field each and every year with little money to do it with. So that means you got to have a lot of young guys step up and do their part. That's why I feel like the Oakland A's have been successful. They know how to groom young players to get ready for the big leagues. And then once you make your mark in, you know, in the league, that's when you sign your big contract and they trade you away. Well, it's also interesting because in your second full year in the big leagues, you hit 35 home runs. It's also the year that Frank Thomas comes over from the White Sox and the A's win the American League West. What did the Big Hurts leadership mean to you and the team at that time? The world, bro, like everything. Listen, man, I had, I had posters of Frank Thomas when I was in high school, right? And now I'm hitting right behind him in the lineup, you know? Frank was one of those guys, man. He taught me so much about the game on and off the field. He was the type of guy that would come to my room at noon in the afternoon and be like, hey, let's go. We're going to the ballpark. 
I had him. I had guys like Jason Kendall. I had unbelievable men in my life that really helped mold me into the man that I am today. And, and without having the, the leadership of those guys, especially as a young player, and listen, bro, I mean, I'm a spaz. I'm all over the place. But if I didn't have those guys in my life, guys like Mark Kotze, Eric Chavez, you know, they really kind of put me right where I needed to be, put me in a great spot and a great position to succeed. And being able to have those guys in my life, man, it's a blessing. Still talk to every single one of those guys till today. It's also interesting because you, you get into your first pro season experience. You're only 25 years old. It, granted, it ends with a four-game loss to the Tigers in the American League Championship Series. But what's your takeaway from that first playoff experience? Because in speaking to players over the years, there's such a difference between regular season and playoffs, and you really need to go through that experience to, to really understand it. What was your takeaway from the first one? Uh, unbelievable, right? Like the energy level off the charts, right? Never really even ever been part of that other than maybe playing a like state championship football game, bro. Like that's the closest thing that I can think of to playoff action baseball. And to be able to be part of all that, man, was amazing. And I quickly learned, wow, man, they can expose your weaknesses at the drop of a hat. You know, everything is so much more precise. Everything is so much more on. Pitchers aren't missing locations nearly as much. The dial just turned up a little bit. So I think for myself, being able to experience that, you know, almost my, you know, my second full season to be able to go and play in the playoffs with the Oakland A's, man, that was amazing, bro. We were such a young team. And I just kind of thought after that season, wow, we're going to be back here each and every year. And it's funny how the business of baseball can really, really take over because, after that season ended, Frank Thomas got signed by the Toronto Blue Jays. The team kind of fell apart a little bit. 2007 was my last year with Oakland. And then I moved on to, you know, the White Sox for 2008 and then the Yankees from 09 to 12. But, I mean, to be able to experience each and every season itself is what you got to do. You got to live in the now because that group of guys that you're playing with that season most likely will never be together again. And that's what makes every team special for me. So to be able to experience that run that we had with those guys and those mentors that I had in my life, as well as the young guys like, you know, Joe Blanton and Houston Street, uh, you know, Marco Scudero was on that squad. I mean, we had some awesome guys, man. So to be able to have all those guys in my life, man, it was such a blessing because when you come up as a young player, man, it can go one of two ways. Uh, and to be able to have great guys in my life and great men in my life was huge for me. And Oakland was a great home to start off. So you mentioned that business of baseball. After four years with the A's, the last three, your batting average goes up each year. All three full seasons, you have 20 or more home runs as well. January 3rd, 2008, you're traded. What's your first reaction to that trade? Hated it. Hated it, man. Just felt kind of uh, loyalty was out the window. That was when I first really realized that baseball is a business. Uh, you know, for myself, I thought I was Cal Ripken, bro. Listen, man, I had the vibe in Oaktown. You know, I was a, a homegrown guy. I was one of our number one prospects coming up through the minor leagues. I was a homegrown guy. I thought I was going to be with the squad forever, but that's not how things really work out. And I don't think I handled the situation as well as I could have. Uh, I was really down in the dumps, man. Really kind of felt let down uh, and really kind of felt out of place when I went to Chicago that next season. Didn't have a very good year statistically, uh, but thank God that I had somebody like Brian Cashman who believed in me uh, that knew that that 2008 season wasn't the type of player that I was. And thank God, because once I got that opportunity to shine in New York in 09, that's when my career really took off. Absolutely. So, so walk us through, I mean, 
as bad as that season was in Chicago, you still managed 24 home runs, 69 RBIs. In less than a year, you know, less than a year later, you're traded to the Yankees on a team that already included Derek Jeter, Alex Rodriguez, Andy Pettit, Jorge Posada, Mariano Rivera. Along with you in that offseason, they added Mark Teixeira, CC Sabathia, and AJ Burnett. What's going through your mind the first day of spring training looking around that locker room? No way. No way I'm in this locker room, right? Like, no way I'm in here with the rest of these guys. Because, listen, man, the year before was such a degrading year for me on and off the field. I mean, we had, you know, gotten in a couple skirmishes with a couple guys and the whole nine, and it didn't really end up the way that I wanted it. But at the end of the day, that's business, right? That's just kind of how the game goes. But to be able to have somebody like Brian Cashman pick up that phone and call me and be like, listen, man, we believe in you. We know that you're going to have a great year. We know you're going to have a great turnaround year. And that's exactly what happened, man. But I remember walking in that locker room the first day being like, you've got to be kidding me, man. I need to get some autographs from these guys. <laughs> Maybe that was the first thing going through my mind. But for myself, bro, to be able to have the opportunity to play for an organization like the New York Yankees and to be able to call that place home and to still be a special advisor with the team and still be part of all of that, man. I mean, bro, I owe my life to the New York Yankees, bro. They gave me that opportunity, and I'll never be able to pay them back for what they gave to me. It's also interesting the way you get into the starting lineup. It's a little bittersweet in some respects. End of spring training, Joe Girardi announced that Xavier Nady is going to be the starting right fielder. Your role would be as a bench player. April 9, 2009, you started for the first time as a Yankee in right field as Xavier was playing DH to give Hideki and Mitsui a rest. You go three for five with a home run. You Five RBIs in that game. Five days later, you become the starting right fielder after Xavier went on the disabled list due to an elbow injury. I know you're really good friends with Xavier as well. So how tough yeah, was that? Yeah, it was, was hard, that? man. It was hard. Uh, listen, man, X was one of those guys that the year before, I think he, you know, he hit 28 or 29 bombs, drove in 100, right? Like, talk about a premier, had an unbelievable arm, could run. I mean, this guy was a stud. I mean, listen, when he got drafted, he went straight to the big leagues, bro. He didn't go to the minor leagues. He was one of those guys that went straight to the show. So for me, I knew I had my bat. I knew, I knew the battle ahead of me. Uh, and I knew X was a tremendous player, but I just knew that every opportunity that I got, I had to make the most of it. Listen, I got a pinch hit in the first game of the season. I walked. I got a pinch hit in the second game of the season. I hit a double. I got to start that third game of the season. And that's when I went three for five because I knew that I got to make a mark, man. I got to let, let these guys know that I can play. And it just so happened that, you know, X kind of, uh, I think he ended up having Tommy John kind of snapped his arm on a throw. And, you know, I was kind of right there to kind of slide into that position. Bittersweet for sure. Um, but being able to uh, still have that relationship with X and his family today, uh, I think is amazing, man. I mean, to, to be able to let me sleep on his couch for like the first week of the season, I was like, man, this guy's one of the nicest human beings I think I've ever met. His wife, his kids, his whole family. So to be able to share that relationship uh, with him uh, and that time that we spent together in New York, man, that was something I'll never, ever forget. So before you, the Yankees, play a home game, the legend of Nick Swisher is growing. <laughs> April 13th, you enter the game hitting 471. You have two home runs and nine RBIs in six games. The Yankees at that point are getting crushed, 15-5. to five, And in the bottom of the eighth inning with the Jays' numbers 1, 2, and 3 do up, you move from first base to the pitcher's <laughs> mound as the Yankees' fifth pitcher in that game. Tell us how that happens 
and what you remember about that. Oh, bro, I just remember nobody was getting anybody out that game, bro. Like, I mean, we were losing 15 to 5, bro. I mean, we were getting flat waxed. And at that point, listen, 2008, they had missed the playoffs. So there was a lot of pressure on that 2009 season. And I'll never forget, I'm getting ready to get on the on-deck circle. And Joe Girardi's kind of pacing back and forth. He doesn't really know what to do. He doesn't want to waste any of our other pitchers. Listen, we're getting ready to go home and open up against Cleveland. He's looking around, and all of a sudden, he snaps his head and looks right in my eyes. He's like, have you ever pitched? And I'm like, oh, hell yeah, Skip, of course, man. I'll be ready. He's like, good. You're going to the next inning. And I'm like, this is amazing, bro. Like, I mean, come on. I just hit a bomb off Scotty Casimir in the first inning. Now I'm going to pitch? I mean, this is unbelievable, bro. And I'll never forget when I got out on the mound, Jose Molina was catching that game. And being able to have him back there was epic because Jorge Posada was not happy that game, man. We were getting thumped, and he was upset about it. But I just remember going out there. And, and listen, bro, I was an outfielder. I'm used to standing 250, 260 feet away. Now, all of a sudden, I'm 60 feet, six inches away to some of the best hitters in the game. And I'm like, bro, if somebody hits a line drive right back at me, I feel like it's just going to explode me. You know what I mean? <laughs> so to be able to get out on that mound, man, and to be able to get through the inning, man, no runs, 0.00 ERA. I got the ball that I struck out Gabe Kapler with. I text him once a month just to let him, re- just to remind him about it. Uh, but it was such an amazing thing, bro. Listen, something you'll never ever have the opportunity to do. And listen, I'm one of those guys, baby. When I get those opportunities, bro, I, I jump in both feet. So to be able to have the opportunity to do that and then go back home to Yankee Stadium, bro. I mean, it was epic, bro. Awesome, dude. What a time. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you still give Kaplan crap about that, but that's amazing. And, and on top of that, people don't realize you were the only Yankee pitcher that day not to give up a run. And I know. I was the only guy getting people out that day. Yeah, How yeah. Was that? It's crazy. And, and, and you were the first Yankee pitcher to, to homer and pitch in the same game since Lindy McDaniel did it in 1972. Crazy, crazy. <laughs> crazy, bro, but an unbelievable experience. And I remember we went back and opened up against Cleveland that next day. And remember, we were losing 10 nothing too. And then, like, the seventh inning, they started the chant, we want Swisher to come right. in and pitch. And I'm <laughs> like, bro, don't don't ask me to do this again, bro. I'm going to give up, like, eight runs, and then it's not going to be nearly as cool. <laughs> So 2009, you make it to the postseason once again, your third time in three different teams. It includes your first postseason home run, ends with a World Series win against the, the, the Phillies in six games. What was that postseason run like, and what's the feeling in the outfield in game six? You throw the ball back into the infield after you caught Rollins' fly ball for the second out of the ninth inning, knowing that the next out you're going to be a champion. No, bro. It was epic, man. I mean, listen, bro. I got to be in the locker room with some of the greatest players to ever put on the pinstripes. Listen, I got to watch Mariano Rivera do his thing at the highest level. I got to see Derek Jeter do his thing at the highest level. I got I got to see A-Rod break out of his postseason slump and help us win. I saw Hideki Matsui drive in six in a World Series game, bro. Like, those things just don't happen. So I think for myself, being able to have this amazing opportunity and to be part of this amazing organization, bro, I soaked up every single minute of it. Listen, I've always been a team player. I've never really ever been worried about personal and individual stats. I've always been about the team and being able to be part of all that, having everybody kick in from Andy Pettit with a couple RBIs in game, what was that, game three, to, you know, uh, A-Rod hitting all his home runs. Hideki doing his thing, Cano. I mean, wow, man. I mean, talk about everybody. CeCe Sabathia, A.J. Burnett. Come on, guys. Jabba was doing his thing at the time. 
I mean, we had some amazing guys on that team. And anytime I think about that squad, it always puts a smile on my face, man, because I think to myself, they'll never be able to take the fact that they can call us champions. They'll never be able to take that away from us, man. It was epic. You know, you're also one of those players that whatever team you are on, that fan base gravitates to you, whether it be the Ohio people in Cleveland, your OG fans in Oakland, but nothing reached the level of love shown by the Bleacher Creatures and the roll call followed by the Swisher salute. What was that atmosphere like from a player's perspective? Oh, bro, I like it just fills my heart, bro. I got goosebumps all over my body right now. You're talking about my people. Right. You're talking about my people. So to be able to have them uh, in my life. Listen, man, I understand how New York works. New York is a blue collar town. They appreciate guys that go out and work hard and give everything they got. And so for me, that salute was thank you in a sense that to my grandfather, as well as a thank you for welcoming me into the city and making me feel as comfortable as I did. Because listen, bro, I'm that type of guy that if you give me a hug, I'll run through a brick wall for you, bro. That's how I've always been. And that's exactly what the fans gave me. They gave me something that they'll never, ever know. That meant the world to me to be able to have that relationship. And even to today, 2021, 2022, bro, doesn't matter what the year is. I show back up in New York. It's the same people, baby, with the same vibe and the same love. So for me, bro, I may not be I may not be born in the Bronx, but I was bred in the Bronx. And I am honored to have been able to be part of all of that, you know? You know, over the years on this show, we've been lucky enough to talk to lots of the 1969, 86 Mets, 94 Rangers, lots of the Yankees who have won. One of the things they all find hard to put in words is the ticker tape parade through the Canyon of Heroes. What are some of your memories about that drive? Ah, oh, bro, I'd never forget. We got to the courthouse and the first person I see is Jay-Z. And I'm like, oh, baby, we are here to party, bro. No doubt. It was just one of those things where I'm just like, this is unbelievable. man. Look at all the people that show up for this thing. And I'll never forget one of my favorite signs I've ever seen in my life, man. Some guy had a big sign up said, I'd give my firstborn to party with Swish. And I'll never forget, man. I'll never forget, man. I was like, you need to prove that, bro. You need to prove that. <laughs> so for me, man, it's just, you know, it was one of those things. Listen, man, I, you know, my wife, Joanna, I mean, she was able to be on that float with me. You know, I was riding, I was with Johnny D on that float. I mean, that was epic, bro. Listen, after we won that World Series, in your mind, you think you're going to just continue to keep winning them. You just think the team's going to continue to keep doing the same thing they've done year after year. But that's not the case. That's why you got to soak those things up, man. you got to live in the now. you got to live in the present because you never know when you're ever going to have that opportunity again. I had the chance to talk to Brett Gardner this offseason, and he was like, man, remember when we won that World Series? Bro, I thought we were going to win a whole lot more, and, 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 and he's never got the opportunity to go back. So he was like, man, I'm just trying to experience everything and soak everything up because you never know when it's going to come back, you know? So I think for us, we're knocking on that door. You know, we've been in the postseason, obviously, a lot uh, uh, over the past couple of years. But I think bringing over some starting pitching that we did in the offseason, healthy Judge, healthy Stanton, Glaber's on fire right now this spring training. Season looks good, brother. Looks really, really good for the Yanks. Talking about soaking in those moments, 2010, you make an all-star team, something your dad did 34 years earlier. Have you two ever talked about that pretty rare distinction as only 13 other fathers and sons have accomplished that? Oh, bro, big time. I mean, listen, man, my father and I, that's, you know, that's the relationship we have is through the game of baseball. Listen, we talk about that stuff all the time. We talk about baseball all the time now about what's going on. And, you know, I always kind of give them a little bit of crap just because like the end of the day, I'm like, listen, 
you know, you got the all-star thing, you know, you played for 10 years, you know, you, 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 you know, you're drafted the first round, but baby, you ain't got that world series ring, brother. <laughs> so I, I, I was hitting with a little bit of that, but being able to have, you know, have had a father that didn't force me to do a thing. Listen, he did his career and he just told me, Nick, whatever you're going to do in this world, baby, work to be the best at it. And baseball just happened to be that love and that passion that I have inside my heart. And I still have it to this day. I mean, one of these days, bro, I'm going to be a big league manager back in the dugout doing something. But I think at the end of the day, being able to have a father who loved the game just as much as I did definitely fueled that passion for sure. So maybe more impressive of all of that, 2011, you released a children's music album called Believe. A percentage of the proceeds were donated to Swish's Wishes, a charity started by um, you for children who were facing health crises. The 12-song album features guest appearances from Bernie Williams, Barry Zito. All songs are recorded on the album are cover songs, as you can hear Joy to the World in the background, selected by you. The album peaked at number three on the chart of iTunes children's albums. Yes, you know! Wait, 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 wait. There are some classics on the CD, including Jumping Jack Flash, Everyday People. So, first of all, the first question is, why no Springsteen? Come on. Second- I know, right? I know, I know. <laughs> I'm with you, bro. The boss is epic, bro. No doubt. <laughs> Second question, which was more nerve-wracking, getting behind the mic or stepping into the batter's box? Bro, getting behind the mic, and I can tell you why. You show up. I literally I recorded that entire album in two days. I went in the morning, both days, back-to-back days, like a Tuesday and a Wednesday. My guy, Lord Harriet, is absolutely amazing. But listen, when you show up in the studio, it's just a big partition, right? And then, like, there's a mic, and that's where you're supposed to be. And I'm like, listen, like, I, don't, I, 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 I don't get paid to sing. I mean, you better auto-tune this, baby, for real. <laughs> you better hook me up. But, I mean, Nick, once again, man, when are you ever going to have the opportunity to do a children's album? When am I ever going to have the opportunity to sing on an album, right? I mean, like, hell, just go for it, bro. Go out there and give everything you got. My favorite songs were Hero and Lean On Me, bro, were my two favorite jams on that track. So that was epic, man. So happy to be part of that. All the kids were amazing. I was so blessed to be able to do that, bro. It was awesome, man. So because I have this newfound knowledge, uh, my family can't stand me because every single person on the mass singer, I go, that's Nick Swisher. That's Nick Swisher. So, so- <laughs> I was going to do it, bro. I was going to do it. <laughs> One of these days, I guess I'll get back on it, bro. I'll get back in there. All right. So so lastly, you have so much energy. It, it, it's it's infectious. It's palpable. How do you channel that? You know, the obviously baseball was a huge channel for that energy. How do you, you know, channel that energy that you have now that you're not playing? Right. Listen, listen, brother. I mean, I got two little girls right now, so they keep me busy as I can be, man. So to be able to have all this energy now is a whole hell of a lot cooler having it at 40 years old than it was at like seven or eight. I can promise you that. <laughs> Getting in trouble with the teachers, talking all the time and the whole nine. But now, you know, I mean, before people would be like, wow, man, you, this guy needs to get on some, you know, some ADD pills and things like that. And, and now people are like, wow, man, this guy's energy is amazing. I love it. So I think to myself, I, I guess I'm kind of proud in the sense that I've never changed, right? I've always kind of been the same guy. I mean, what you see is what you get. And I think maybe that's why I have the relationships with people that I do, because you know, hey, listen, look, look on my sleeve, baby. You'll know exactly how I'm feeling. So to be able to have had this amazing first career in my life and to been able to have played the game of baseball for as long as I have. Listen, bro, I understand how blessed I am. And I also understand how blessed I am to have the family that I have now. 
and the duties that I have as a father and as a husband, because listen, they were backing me up every single game that I was playing, even in 2016, bro, when I was trying to grind to get back to the big leagues, my family was always there with me. So it's my turn now to give back for what they've always given me. So to be able to have my wife kicking ass right now, we're getting ready to leave to go to Atlanta. She starts season two of Sweet Magnolias on Netflix next week. So we're really, really excited, man. I mean, I'm loving life right now. I'm loving being a dad. I'm loving being able to give back and help people as much as possible. But you're going to see me, bro. You're going to see me back in that dugout oh, one of these I, days. I can, no doubt about it, I cannot it, no wait. The, the game needs Nick Swisher. And as one of my friends put it, and I think it's the greatest description of Nick Swisher ever, he basically told me if cocaine needed a drug, it would be Nick Swisher. So that, <laughs> that to me, just like that, put it right there. So, Nick, thanks so much for your time tonight. More importantly, thanks for over 1,500 games of giving it your all for the fans and well over 200 Swisher salutes. I'm giving you one. on. We're on Facebook Live. So I'm giving you the salute. And thanks so much for your time tonight. We really appreciate it. Hell yeah, brother. Anytime, baby. Love this interview. Love being on here, my man. Hey, keep kicking ass, bro. Keep doing your thing, brother. I'll talk to you soon, okay? You, you got it, Nick. Be good. Nick Swisher. Yeah.